Instructions and Warnings from the sermon series on the commissioning, spoken by Pastor Peter on. How do you define success? How would you define success today? I think a lot of us have different definitions of success, particularly in whatever life stage we might find ourselves in. Some of us define success in finding a good job. Maybe you're looking for a job and you define uh, success in that way. Some of us might define success in terms of maybe getting a good house and getting married, meeting someone, and starting a family, and all that good stuff. And a lot of times when we think about success, it's often associated with like the American dream. And uh, we realize that that kind of success, though it might be important, it doesn't really lead to true, true happiness. Some of us might define success as perhaps maybe, you know, you have a social media following. We have some in our church. You guys got quite a bit of following, and your success is to make sure more people like your updates, like your status updates, like your videos, the kind of stuff you put up, and for continue to grow your social media influence. And you define success in that way. Do you define success perhaps maybe winning an Olympic gold medal for your country in gymnastics? How did you react to the Simone Bios opting out? I'm going to be honest how I reacted. I was appalled. I was like, how could she do this? Her country needs her. And then I started thinking about it more. My daughter kept reminding me, you got to relax. And I started reading some of the deeper stuff, being reminded again that this young woman, for many years of her life, she was a part of an organization, the USA Gymnastics Organization, that did not do much to protect these little girls. And they have to live with the casualties of the trauma that was sustained upon their lives. And now they got to go up in front of millions and billions of people and try to win a gold medal for their country. And I realized how deep that is. And some of us define success in winning a gold medal. But I think she really won a gold medal in a different way. Because she had a courage to do something that very few people were able to do. So how do you define success? I think for a lot of us, when we think about success, we naturally associate it with achievements, with prosperity, with a whole lot of joy. We define success in that way. And I think in many ways, it's the way in how the world defines it. But then when you think about it in the eyes of God, have you ever thought about how does Jesus define success? Like when he looks at your life and my life, especially as we are here today, and if you are here and you call yourself a Christian, and for the past seven months we were in a sermon series that talked about what discipleship is, have you ever thought about how God views success? Because when you really think about it, when you look at passages of Scripture in the Gospels, when Jesus teaches us this, we learn that God's idea of success is completely contrary to how we view it. And today I think he's going to shake us a little bit. He's going to move us a little bit, perhaps maybe put us in a very uncomfortable place because Jesus is going to tell you that he defines success by your capacity to suffer for his mission. That's success in God's eyes. By our willingness to say, yes, God, I will suffer for the mission. And what is the mission all about? The mission is about advancing God's kingdom here on earth. That is God's mission. That is all of our missions. This is not an optional mission. It is every single one of our missions, if we should choose to accept it today, that that is the mission that God has called you and I to, and that mission will lead to suffering. Last Sunday, we launched a series called Commission Impossible to look in depth into one chapter, Matthew chapter 10. Next Sunday, we'll finish up Matthew chapter 10. But last week, Pastor Doug launched this series and did a fantastic job. If you did not come last Sunday, you didn't get a chance to listen to the sermon, I highly encourage you to make sure you check it out. 
really was a powerful service. And he taught us three things that we are to do as we take on the mission of God. He says that we are to go purposefully, go, gener go with generosity, and go with Jesus. Now, what Jesus does now is that as we do that, as we go in that way to fulfill the mission of God, he's going to warn us and warn his disciples that we're going to be in for some suffering. And the question that I want to ask, because a lot of you are saying, I don't know if I want to suffer for Jesus. You don't have a choice if you're a disciple. It's a non-negotiable. Jesus is not saying if you suffer. It's really a matter of when you suffer. And so I guess the question we have to first answer is this. Why do I have to suffer when living out God's mission? Because, again, it goes so contrary to how we think. Because we're thinking about prosperity, about joy, about good things happen to us. And we're going to look at a passage with Jesus saying, oh, no. When you live out my mission, if you should choose to accept it, it's going to be hard. But then why? Why do we have to suffer? Why do you and I have to suffer when we choose to live out the mission of God? Then the second question we're going to answer is this. How do I fearlessly live out God's mission in my life regardless of what happens to me? How do I fearlessly live out God's mission regardless of what happens to me? All right? Look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 16 to 31. Let's answer those two key questions, all right? Again, when you look at the first part that uh, Pastor Doug launched last Sunday, Jesus gives the disciples authority to go out and to heal the sick, uh, deliver people from demons, and to literally, literally demonstrate the power of God, all right? After he does that, then he goes into this passage where he talks about pain and suffering. Look at verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That means we are sheep. I mean, you amongst wolves. That means that we're in a very dangerous environment here. Therefore, he says, be as shrewd as a snake. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus says, you and I to be like snakes. Be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues, meaning being beaten to death in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So don't be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You're not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? That's a tough word. Let's bow our heads for a moment and pray. God, Lord, um, I know you weren't having a bad day when you shared this with your disciples. I know you were preparing them because you knew how hard it was going to be for them to continue the mission that you've placed upon their lives that they gave to their death. 
And God, like us, it's so hard for us to imagine that in 2021 that you would call us to a mission that might lead to suffering. But God, open our minds, open our hearts. Give us an opportunity to even entertain this idea before a minute. And would your spirit speak? Would you convict us? And will you show us that you've called us on a mission that we should choose to accept today? So I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it would indeed be a sweet fragrance unto you. And it's in your name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right, why do we have to suffer? Why do you and I have to suffer when we live out the mission of God? I mean, that's a real important question. Why? The first reason why is because a teacher, uh, a student is not above his teacher. The reason why you and I have to suffer is because a student is never above his teacher. Look at what it says in verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teacher. That's good enough. But he says, and servants like their masters. But if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, that means if Jesus has been called the devil, how much more the members of his household? The reason why you and I have to suffer is because when Jesus took on the mission of God, he suffered. And how did he suffer? He literally suffered unto his death, right, Metro? He suffered unto his death as he took on the mission of God. And so what Jesus is saying to every single one of us is that when we believe in him, it's not so that we can live out the American dream in our lives. It's not so that we can just experience success the way the world lives into success. But if we were to grab onto how God sees the world, how God sees your life and my life, then we would begin to entertain this idea that success isn't about what we receive. Success is about doing the very mission that God has called you you and I too. And Jesus says, because I'm your teacher, because I'm your Lord, you're not above me. So if I have to suffer, guess what? You're going to suffer too. That's why we suffer. A student is never above his master. And if our master says we are to do the mission of God, because where is he sending you and I to? Into a very hostile world. Again, you are a sheep being sent out to the wolves. Make no mistake about it. That is the mission, that we are going into a very precarious world where there is hostility towards the people of God. And you have to stand firm regardless of what happens to you. That's what Jesus did and led to his death. But here's the good thing. Jesus has gone ahead of you. He suffered. He knows what the suffering is all about. And he will be there with us to care for us, to guide us, and to give us strength. Amen? A student is never above his teacher. Don't ever think you are. Don't ever think you're above suffering. Don't ever think the reason why you're a Christian is so that God could prevent you from suffering. No. Next week we'll talk about Jesus saying you got to pick up your cross and follow me. And so what do you think that means? That means that we're going to suffer. We're going to go through hardships. But I'm telling you right now, it's so, the, the price we pay is minuscule to what we can experience. And Jesus would tell you the same thing today. All right? So that's the first thing. A student is never above his teacher. Second reason why we have to suffer is because there's enemy opposition to God's authority. There is enemy opposition to the authority of God. You need to know that. Look at verse uh, 1, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. We read this last week. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Okay, so Jesus gets his disciples together. He gives them spiritual authority to go out and do these amazing, powerful things that literally are supernatural in nature. And what happens? They do it. They do it. All right? Spiritual authority, Metro, is simply this. It's God giving you permission to use his power. That's what spiritual authority is. And every single one of us, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have permission to use God's power to demonstrate his power to the world. 
We all have that. Now, some of you have a lot more power than others because you choose to exercise it while many of us, we don't. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're unwilling to use it, all right? The more you exercise the Spirit of God, the more you have it and the more you grow into it, and God could use you to demonstrate his power unto this world. And so when we do that, you need to understand something. Satan doesn't like it. Satan doesn't like us using God's power to impact people's lives because what is God's mission about? It's about, it's about creating a very kingdom here on this earth so that people can taste a little bit of what it means to be a follower of God, but what it means to be in heaven. It's a, a foretaste of heaven. And you know what that is? You know what that foretaste of heaven is? You ready for this? It's to be set free from your brokenness. That's what a taste of heaven is. A taste of heaven, really, is that we all are broken. We've all experienced brokenness in our life. And if you're older and you're older like me, been living almost four or five decades, you realize how broken your lives can be. And, 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 and tasting and being set free and establishing God's kingdom on this earth is allowing your brokenness to be set free so that Satan doesn't capitalize on it anymore. Because what the, what the deal is in life and what you see so much happening around the world and even in your life, because you ever wonder like, why am I so messed up? Why do I keep struggling so much? Why can't I love the people that are around me and I always get more angry? You know why? Because Satan is capitalizing on your brokenness. He sees it and it's an in and as a result of it, he capitalizes on it. And when you and I take upon the mission of God, you know what happens? God has given us permission to use his power to set the broken free so that Satan no longer can capitalize upon their brokenness. Wouldn't you and I want to be a part of a mission like that? It's going to cause us to suffer, though. It's not going to be easy because look at the world in which we live in today. Look at verse 21. I mean, it's like a headline in the newspapers. It literally is like watching the evening news. Look at what it says in verse 21. Brothers will betray brothers to death. In the first century, family was everything. And so this is why Jesus goes deep and talking about family. He's going to do that next week as well. And he says, and father his child to death. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. That's the world in which you and I live in, and we say that it's an evil world, but the only reason why it's an evil, evil world is because Satan is capitalizing on the brokenness of humanity. And he wants you and I to go, because he's giving you permission to use his power to set him free, to set him free. That's the mission, and that's why we suffer, because there's an enemy who does not want that to happen. He does not want you to use God's power to set other people free. He will do whatever he can in his power to stop it. And he's done a good job for many of us in our lives. And today you have a chance to say no more. No more. I'm not going to use my brokenness as an excuse to not do this anymore. You have a spirit of God. We are all a work in process. Guys, I'm still broken today. And God is still redeeming my brokenness and setting me free from my brokenness. Don't ever think you've arrived and you're good. No, we don't have to reach a certain level of spiritual maturation to be used. Again, the disciples didn't even believe that Jesus is the Messiah at this point. They were just living with him and following him, and then Jesus gives them his power, and they go out and they heal all these people, right? Because what happened when he died on the cross? They all left him. They didn't believe in him anymore. So God could use anyone. He can use you and me as long as we're open. But the suffering is so minuscule compared to the blessing and the true rewards and the joy that we experience 
and knowing that God can use people like you and me to set people free. I believe we all have this innate desire to suffer for something good. We all have this innate desire to suffer, to save, and to free people. If some of you would ask my wife, Jenny, was it worth it? Was it worth having three children? Was it worth suffering for nine months, for three times in your life? And you know, the first pregnancy, she was on bed rest for three months with Christina. Was it worth it? Was it worth having your body go through all this change? Or was it worth your body going through all that suffering? She would look at you like you're crazy. Of course it was worth it. If any of you ask the woman, a mom, was it worth it? You think they're going to be like, oh, man, it wasn't worth it. I know never do that again. Of course it was worth it. Why? Because they brought life into this world. Of course it was worth it. Of course it was worth New York firefighters and rescue workers to go down to Miami when there was a collapsed building, a partially collapsed building. They risked their lives to save people. They could have easily said, you know what? We don't live in Miami. We don't got to go down there. Why would they go down and risk their lives and, and search through the rubble in hopes that they would be able to maybe help somebody? Because they had this innate desire, their willingness to suffer if it means they can save someone. We all have this innate desire to want to do this. God's given you that desire. Would you use it for him? Would you use, would you use it for his mission? Even if it causes you and I to suffer, will we do it? Will we do it? My hope and prayer is that you truly would, all right? So having established why you and I have to suffer is because a student is never above his teacher. And the other reason why is because we have an opposition, an enemy that is trying to oppose us from using God's power to set people free from their brokenness. How do we do it then? How do we live it out so fearlessly that in the midst of what happens to us that we can do it? Here's what Jesus teaches us. The first one is this. I fearlessly live out God's mission when I am shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? As shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. Uh, some of your translations actually use the word serpent instead of snakes. The serpent or the snake was the emblem of wisdom. They weren't always evil. They were the symbol of intellectual zeal. Now, if you were just a snake, you would be a very dangerous person. You needed to have the balance of the innocence of a dove. Without innocence, the wisdom and shrewdness of a snake is devious and can be evil. And we see that with the serpent in Genesis when he tempted Eve and Adam to eat the fruit, right? So be as shrewd as a snake, but you got to balance it out by being as innocent as a dove. All right, because, because uh, and without shrewdness and wisdom, if you're just innocent, people are going to take advantage of you. You put yourself in a very dangerous place if you're just an innocent Christian. You got to be smart like a snake and innocent like a dove. That is the balance that Jesus wants us to. If we ever want to go out and live out the mission of God and you want to do this well because he's sending us out like sheep among wolves, we have to be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. What does that look like today? You know what it looks like? It doesn't mean that you have this way to speak diplomatically in whatever situation that you're in. You know what it looks like? What it looks like, Metro, is about you being genuine and that's it. It's about you being truly genuine in any circumstances. What that means is this. When you choose to live out the mission of God, you got to take off your masks. You can't keep them on because if you keep on your mask while you're trying to live out the mission of God, God can't really use you because it's not you. 
It's a fake version of you that you're trying to do. And sometimes we do that in church, don't we? Pastors, sometimes we fall under this because we try to hide behind spirituality and we put on this mask of spirituality and we're not really honest and genuine when we're talking and connecting with people. It's about being genuine. If you want to be shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove, it's about being genuine. And so the question you got to ask yourself is this, what mask are you wearing today or what mask do you have that you need to take off? and put to death. We all have them. We all have them. We gotta be willing to take it off. Because if we're not willing to be genuine and honest, then what's gonna end up happening is that shame will begin to take over our lives in such a way that we can't be genuine. And that's why the genuineness is such an important part of this. You're shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove, when you can be truly a genuine person. Be who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin. Don't, be, don't feel like you have to be somebody that you're not. Be who God created you to be because that's enough. That's what it means to be as shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. Be genuine. So what are the masks that prevent you from doing that today? All right, that's the first. Second, we fearlessly live out God's mission when we rely upon the Holy Spirit. When we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I mean, that's some pretty strong like words but you can only imagine what the disciples are thinking like really if they arrest me don't worry about what I'm going to say I just got to rely upon the Holy Spirit when was the last time we ever put ourselves in a position where we truly relied upon the Holy Spirit some of us if we think we're living out the mission of God and yet we're not relying upon the Holy Spirit I'm here to tell you friends you're not living out God's mission because if you live out the mission of God you're going to rely upon the Holy Spirit it's just there's no other way because oftentimes when God calls you and I to a mission, it's so God-sized that there's no way you can do it with your own human capacities. And so you naturally rely upon the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to fulfill the mission fearlessly, you have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, but how do I do that, Peter? How do I rely upon the Holy Spirit? Folks, hear me on this. It's like, just like my wife, nobody ever trained her to be a mom. But once she gave birth, she already knew how to do it. Yeah, she made mistakes. I have made a ton of mistakes. But she just had this innate understanding of how to do this. When you take on the mission of God and you should choose to take it, I'm telling you, the Spirit will begin to speak to you. And how you rely upon the Spirit is you obey what he tells you to do. That's how you begin to rely more on the Holy Spirit. And when you take on the mission of God, I am telling you, the Spirit will speak to you. He will speak to me. We have to be doing that. Uh, you know, that happened to me just a couple weeks ago because, uh, you know, last month, if you were here at our church, Governor Phil Murphy came to our church and, and uh, we just connected briefly. But if you remember that service, as he was walking off the stage, I said, Governor, I hope you would support our church in trying to start this community center here in Englewood. And he turned around, he gave me the thumbs up, and I'll say, I'll see if you're really tr honest about that, buddy. I'm going to put you to the test. And so I emailed him about it. I said, okay, you gave me the thumbs up. Are you going to help us with this? And he put me in connection with his chief of staff, deputy chief of staff. And we've been talking over the last probably month or so quite regularly, especially in the beginning. She gave me her cell phone number. We did a couple of Zoom sessions. And she's telling us how we can potentially get state funding for this community center. Really cool stuff. Then I didn't hear from her for about 10 days. She was completely radio silent. I called her, I texted her, I emailed her, never responded. 
And I'm like, what's going on here? Shared it with a friend of mine, and my friend, and my friend's a very type A personality, and he knew that this was an opportunity, but he says, if you wait too long, the ship's gonna sail, Peter. So what he told me, this was his advice, it was good advice, I thought. He said, you need to go down to Trenton, and you need to be just sit outside her office. I was like, what? You want me to drive down to exit eight or seven, whatever that exit is, on the turnpike? You want me just to sit there and wait? He goes, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Yes, you must do that. I was like, I don't want to do that. He's like, but you should do it. How bad do you want this? I said, no, I want it. He said, well, then you got to do it. I was going to do it. I hung up the phone with him. I just sensed the spirit say, no, you can't. Don't worry. Trust it to me. Just trust it to me. I didn't really know what that meant, but I didn't. Right? I was going to do it, but I didn't. And you know what? I am not lying because we have staff members to prove this. She stepped into my office one week later. She walks into my office. And this is the craziest thing. You got it. One of her staff members that are below her was talking to Angie, one of our church members, partners, about what our church is doing with racial justice. She was so impressed to hear what we were doing. She decided to come and visit, but she didn't connect me to Metro. She totally didn't connect that. And so I'm sitting there, and she walks in, and we're like, whoa. And we do this meeting with, you know, our staff. We have Pastor Ancy, Pastor IJ, and Angie was there, along with myself, with her and her staff. And afterwards, I just said to her, I said, hey, Deb, you mind if we just have a, a little, little talk? And we did. And I just said, are you okay? Is everything all right? Like, hey, do you want to, like, back away from this? She said, no, 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 no. I've just been really busy. I'm sorry. But just what you guys are doing is pretty amazing. I'm going to continue to help you. And so she emailed me last week and said, hey, I need you to go before the ARP committee, which is the American Rescue Plan, and I need you to ask for money for this community center. And I don't like going in front, and it was on Zoom, but it just was weird. I got to go in front of a, a group of politicians. But I did. I did it on Wednesday. I went before them, and I asked for money for the community center. But the moral of the story is simply this. There is human logic, and human logic can be very important. But there are certain things that you can only rely upon the Holy Spirit. And you got to just listen to it, even though it goes contrary to your human logic. Because my friend, and I agree with him, said, you got to go and sit outside of her office. She probably thought I'd be a stalker if she saw me there. Like, are you stalking me, man? Like, what's up with you? She walked into my office. I couldn't believe it. Rely on the Holy Spirit. If you choose to live out the mission that God has called you upon, I guarantee you the Spirit will speak. And as you rely upon and as you listen and obey, it will change your life. And it's so cool to see how God operates. And that helps me for so many other things in my own life going forward. That I know that when God speaks, I just have to listen. When God speaks, I just have to listen. Third, we fearlessly live out God's mission when we do not fear people. We fearlessly live out God's mission when we do not fear people. Verse 28, do not be afraid of them for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Woo. Listen, the truth is this, Metro. We're afraid of a lot more people than we let on. We are. Who are you afraid of today? Who brings you fear that oftentimes makes you run and grab your mask and you put it on and you go back and see them? Who makes you do that? Is it your parent? Is it a boss? Is it an ex? Is it some friends in your social circle that you want to get, you know, in favor with? Who are the ones who bring you the greatest fear? 
Because what happens is that when we fear them, it will prevent us from fearlessly living out the mission of God. Because we won't do the things that God is calling us to do because we fear them. We give them more power than they really deserve. And so who do you fear today? Because Jesus says, don't fear them. Because all they can do is just damage your body. They can't touch your soul. He says, if you want to fear someone, fear God, because he can destroy both body and soul. Don't fear human beings. Don't fear people. And I know that's hard to say in a day and age like today, especially you young people. You don't like the idea of not being liked. You don't like the fact of living your life. And I said this to my daughter many months ago. I said, honey, I think you're awesome, but I said, you got to be careful because your generation loves to be liked. You starve for acceptance. You guys starve to be liked on social media and all those things. You can't do that because if you want to live for God, people are going to hate you because they hate Jesus. You got to have that balance because if you don't, you can't be genuine. You're just going to be innocent and you're not going to have the smarts and be shrewd as a snake. You got to have both because if you don't have both, you're not going to be genuine. And if you're not going to be genuine, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a mask. And I'm telling you, when you put on a mask, you can't have any relationships, authentic, real, honest relationships with people when you have masks on. You're just going to live your life in complete fear. There's no way you're going to be able to live out the mission of God because you're doing it with masks on. It's not a Halloween party. That's not what God's calling you to be a part of. He's calling you to be yourself. Take off the costume, take off the mask, and be who he created you to be. That's how we fearlessly live out his mission. Stop fearing people. I know it's easier said than done. But take the steps. Take the steps of you being comfortable in your own skin. Take the steps of knowing that because people hated Jesus, they will hate me one day. It's okay. I tell our staff this all the time because it's hard. We want to be liked as pastors. I say to them, it's a very good thing that when you go to sleep and you know there's a few people that hate you, I said, it's a beautiful thing, especially if you can go to sleep. Because if you can sleep in five minutes, even though you know people hate you, then you're doing the right thing. Because people are going to hate us. If we're going to live out the th- what God tells us to do, if we're going to live out the mission, it's going to happen. Don't be afraid of them. Live out the mission of God. Because if you fear people, God can't really use you to fulfill the mission. The last thing, the last thing. We fearlessly live out God's mission when we know our worth to God. We fearlessly live out God's mission when we know our worth to God. I saved the very best for last. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. How do you and I fearlessly live out the mission of God? It's to know your worth in him. God would never send you on this mission if he didn't see that you were worth everything to him. Jesus says sparrows are worth a penny. And yet God still takes care of them. They never have to worry. And he says, what about you? God sees you so worthy of his love that he even knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And we all have different numbers of hair that are on our head, especially as we get older, all right? Especially if we're men and women, whoever, right? But God loves us that much. We are worth so much more than sparrows and we have to know our worth. You have to know your worth because if you don't know your worth today, there's no way you're going to be able to set people free. To the degree that you know your worth to God will be the degree that you can help people 
be set free because they will begin to learn of their worth to him. When you begin to realize your worth to God, you realize how good and how freeing it is that you want other people to experience the same thing. How do you know your worth to God? There's only one thing. God, unfortunately, guys, guys don't, God doesn't have to do anything else in your life because he's already exceeded our expectations. He's already, he's already done the greatest thing we could ever ask of him to prove his worth to us, and that's Jesus Christ. He sent his only son, his begotten son, to die for us on the cross, resurrect from the dead, so that we would know our worth in him. Now, I know we've come from families where maybe we've been taught that we're not worth much. I know maybe we come from cultures that teach us that depending on your success level, the, de is, the dependence is connected to your worth. But God wants you to know that your worth is never connected to even your missional output. How many people you set free? Your worth is never associated with that. Your worth is associated with Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. I have one son. He's 15 years old. If I sacrificed his life for all of you so that you can have life, and you turned around in a few months and questioned if I loved you, thank God I'm not God. I would destroy you. I would kill you. I would say, how in the world could you question your worth to me when I would sacrifice my own only son for you? That's exactly what God did. He gave up Jesus Christ for us so that we could know our worth. Jesus says he knows you. You are so worthy to him that he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And if God knows that, how much are you worth to him? Do you know your worth? What's dragging you down in your life that prevents you from realizing your true worth in him? Because if you truly knew your worth today, through the person of Jesus Christ, you will gladly, fearlessly live out the mission of setting people free for him, regardless of the suffering that it might entail. And sometimes, though, I really believe that suffering is mission critical for you to go deeper in understanding your worth in him. It's never easy. It's never fun. It's awful many times. But it's mission critical to help you to go deeper into understanding your sense of worth in him. Will you fearlessly live out the mission of God? Will you truly be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove? Will you just be who you are? Don't put on a mask, especially when you come to church. Will you rely upon the Holy Spirit? Will you stop fearing human beings? And will you begin to position your life in such a way where you understand your worth in him? Folks, this has been a journey in my life since the moment I was born till now. And I will tell you right now, you're never going to get to a place where you're saying, well, I know what I'm worth and that's good. God continues to show it to me regularly in my life. It's been a journey. And I've lived a life, a long enough life right now. I'm not older than some of you, but I'm older than a lot of you. Uh, I've lived my life long enough to know that God has put me in a place where he's taken a lot of, not all, but a lot of my brokenness and he set me free. Because the life I lived before I came to know Jesus Christ was really Satan capitalizing on my brokenness. And I had a lot of it, quite a bit. I grew up in a home, many of you know, but I know we've been having a lot of new people here, where there was a lot of physical violence in my home because of my father. Because he would come home drunk, not all the time, but sometimes. And I would see, as a little child, my father beating my mom, flogging my mom. And then he would sometimes take it out on my sisters and I. And whenever he grabbed that alcohol at a party that he would take us to, 
I can't tell you how much fear I had. Because I knew what would happen if he kept drinking a few more of those glasses. Because he would turn into a person that would literally ravage our family. That brokenness did something to me that as I started to grow up, I started to learn things about myself and it created all these different masks in me and it just really put me in a difficult place. Then I gave my life to Jesus as a sophomore in high school and God began to start redeeming some of those things, but I was a major work in progress and I'm so grateful for that. When I was in college though, my sister shared with me, I think I was a sophomore in college, she shared with me and I had no idea, she shared with me that my father had sexually abused her as a child. And I had no idea because I was too young. And she shared with me in detail how that has destroyed her life every single day. I got so angry. I went downstairs. My father slept in the living room floor. I went into the kitchen. I grabbed a knife. And I was about, about eight steps away from stabbing that SOB in the heart. I was going to take his life. My brokenness had gotten the best of me where it says children will put to death their parents. That was what I was prepared to do. And of course it didn't happen. And I'm telling you, at that darkest moment, I sat there just sitting on the couch. I don't know how long I was there for. But I just said, God, why, why, why? Why did this man have to live and destroy our lives? Why? And I didn't know how much he destroyed my sister's life. I had no idea. And it was at that moment of deep brokenness because the spirit lived in me. God showed me something that didn't make what he did right, never. But he said, you need to get to know this man because no matter what, he is your father. And that began a journey. A journey, a long journey of me getting to know this man. Hearing his story. Learning about him. And learning that, that what he did to us wasn't ever, there was never an excuse for it. But there was at least something to help me to understand the level of his brokenness. And allow me to forgive him and have a relationship, a patched up loving relationship with my father. My father, you know, when I started to do this, when I went to seminary for the first time, he actually said, Peter, I love you. I never heard my dad ever tell me he loved me. I mean, there was just redemption after redemption, and I'm grateful for that. When I started this church, I mean, my brokenness got so big, and listen, first six years of this church, guys, I'm telling you right now, I wanted to be a mega church pastor. I wanted Metro to be about 15, I'll be a little modest, maybe 25,000 people. I wanted to buy out the Continental Arena where the Brooklyn Nets play, or the New Jersey Nets played at the time. I thought, that's going to be the future home of Metro Community Church. About 15,000 people, maybe, you know, about that much. We do it. Why? Because of the glory of Jesus Christ. People need to be set free. People need to be saved. All for Jesus. No, it wasn't for Jesus. It was for my brokenness. It's because I was drowning in my shame. I believed I needed affirmation. And the greatest temptation I ever struggled with wasn't the things I lusted after, my greatest temptation was I wanted you to lust after me. I wanted the world to spiritually lust after me. I wanted to say, look at this great leader. Look how great he is. Let's ask him to speak all over the world. Let's have him write books. I wanted to be known. And it almost destroyed me. My brokenness. And God breathed life in it through some elders saying that you are so unhealthy, you've got to go on a sabbatical. And I did. I picked up a little book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it transformed my life. I've never been the same after that. The greatest struggle I've had in this church, I'll share it, I don't think I've ever really shared it with you, was when my father died. He died about six years ago. And it was one of the darkest periods of my life. And I had prayed that my father would, would go to be with the Lord for about two years. Because my father was in a nursing home for about eight years. 
And the last two, his Parkinson's disease had gotten so bad, he was breathing, but he wasn't living. And so I saw that every time I visited him, and I just prayed that God would call him home. I said, God, please, please call him home. And finally he did, but I wasn't prepared for it. It just happened so all of a sudden, I wasn't prepared. And during that time, we started to have an exodus of people leaving this church because they didn't like our position of us talking about racial justice every week at church. And these weren't just occasional attenders. These were some leaders in our church, and it hurt. And what ended up happening is that church started going through a little bit of a crisis, particularly financially. We started thinking about do we need to lay off staff, and I just started feeling like a failure. I started feeling like a loser and all that thing. I, got, I was in this sort of this dark space for two years. I struggled more with sin in those two years than I've ever struggled with my Christian life. I struggled more with lust than I've ever struggled in my life. I've struggled more with uh, anger. I mean, I was so angry during that time. I, I cursed more than I've ever cursed before. Never out loud, but of course, quietly inside. So nobody can hear it, of course. I was so angry. It was such a dark period of life for me. I was so broken. And it was during that time where I had a friend who I call a soulmate. His name is Jeff. And he said to me, he said, listen, buddy, if you're going to go down, I want you to know I'm going to go down with you. I'm not going to let you do this alone. You can't keep going down this negative path. Peter, wake up. Wake up. Stop this. And I was able to get myself out of there. And now sort of many years outside of it, looking back, I'm realizing that those are the moments, honestly, when I go through those moments, as hard as it might be, as I'm trying to live out what God has called me to do, the mission that he's placed upon my life, they're hard, they're difficult. But every single one of those moments, sometimes it takes longer than others, I understand even deeper my worth in him. And listen, I mean... I, I feel like in some ways, like, I'm like, like a superhero. Try me now. If I went through that hell for two years, I could withstand anything saying, try me. I'm here to tell you something that when you can truly know your worth, and your worth often doesn't happen, the actualization of your worth doesn't happen until you're willing to take on the mission and until you're willing to suffer for him, then you go through some really dark times, but God will always be there because he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. The reason why I'm able to stay on this side and thank God and see how he's been able to redeem my brokenness is because I still have a wife that really loves me. I still have three kids that still love me. And there are like going to be 20, 17, and 15. They still think I'm, I don't know if they think I'm cool, but they still love me. Right? I hope you guys love me. Right? In the midst of my brokenness. And folks, I am still so very broken, but the good news is God has set me free. And God will continue to set me free today, tomorrow, and forevermore as I continue to live out his mission. So the challenge is simply this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to live your life to set people free and to suffer in the midst of it and as you do, be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. Rely upon the Holy Spirit every single day of your life. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. 
Know your tremendous worth to God. And as you do, don't ever fear man and woman. Because they can't do anything to you but just maybe ruin your body. They can't ruin your soul. May you live out the mission of setting people free. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. I don't know how God spoke to you. This was not necessarily an easy word to hear. But I do pray that you will be able to receive it. But what I want to do today is before we go into communion, some of you need to be set free today because you haven't been set free. It's been hard. This pandemic has kicked your butt in every area. And you need to be set free. It's okay to admit that. I need to be set free regularly. If you need to be set free, maybe there's been a brokenness in you that keeps haunting you and the people you love the most. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and keep it up until the prayer is over. But I want to pray that God releases your brokenness today so that you can be set free. If you want that prayer, just raise your hand. Nobody look me. Close your eyes. Just raise your hand up high. And I'm going to pray that God sets you free today so that your brokenness will no longer hurt you nor the people that love you. Let's see anyone else. Beautiful, beautiful hands all over the place. Beautiful. You are more than your brokenness. You are a child of God where God knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Keep your hands up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, those hands, you see them right now. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray you would fall upon them. And I pray that you would just bless them and anoint them, but set them free from the power of Satan. And no longer would their brokenness be capitalized by Satan anymore. But God, that their brokenness would be redeemed by you. That you would breathe life into that brokenness. And God, that you would do the craziest thing of even using their brokenness to be a platform for ministry that you will use them in one day. So set them free. Every hand up, Holy Spirit. I pray right now you would set them free. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. You can put your hands down. And so, God, I come to you today. And for those who've made a commitment, for those that have raised their hand to be set free, I pray that they would know, God, that being set free comes at a cost. It came at a cost of giving your son's life. Jesus Christ. God, I pray for anyone who finds so much of their identity and their brokenness. No longer would they do that. They will find their identity being a prince or a princess to the king of kings and lord of lords. That they would know that they are sons and daughters to the king. And help them to live and live like they are part of the royal family. God, be with our church. Every person here, God, I pray that you would help them. Even if some of them did not want to take the step of wanting to live out this mission of setting people free. So God, that people can have hope again. I pray, God, that you would just be with them, convict them, challenge them, and show them that the only way to live true life here on this earth is when we take upon this mission. That does cause suffering, but you'll be there with us. You'll guide us in every, every way. And so, God, I pray that you'll just be with this church. Lord, help us not to be a country club. I pray that we would just come and hang out and have fun, although that's important. But, God, help us to see people agents of transformation that you send us in to go out into the world and to help people get set free from their brokenness so that Satan does no longer capitalize on their brokenness anymore, but that you would redeem it in 
they would have power over it going forward. So use them as your people like you use the disciples. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Thank you, God, that you would even consider us worthy to suffer for the gospel. What a privilege and an honor it is. It's not fun, but it is a privilege and an honor. And for that, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, there's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. If you could flip over your communication card or just turn on your app. These are important because you need to take these steps. You can't just listen to God's word, but it's about actually taking some steps to make it happen, okay? If you've never committed your life to Jesus and you have done that today, you've opened your heart to him, please check that off and we'll get back to you this week. Second, you're making a covenant with God. I'm going to reflect, journal, and share with someone my masks. You're going to first pray, reflect, journal about what are those masks, but then you need to share it with someone. Don't keep that a secret. Share those masks with them, okay? Third, I'm going to register for the Newcomers Connections Dinner on Sunday on August 15th at 3.30 p.m. Sunday, August 15th at 3.30 p.m. You can just go on our app, click on the Newcomers Connections Dinner, and then you have to register, so please register on that. If you don't register, we can't get your information about it, but I hope you'll come. We'll have a great time together. We'll also have dinner and break bread together. So if you've just started coming out to this church, let's have some fun. Let me share a little bit about what this church is about. It's more than what you see on Sunday. I promise you that. All right? Fourth, I will volunteer this week to help sort clothes for our open store market. Guys, if you go to our office space, there is a lot of stuff in our office. People have been donating, and it's great. And uh, this, is a, this provides a tremendous need for the people here in Englewood. But we actually need people who can help us sort some of this stuff out. If you are open to doing that, check that off. And I guarantee you, Steve and other people will get back to you this week. And they'll show you a schedule that maybe you can come and devote an hour, two hours, maybe an entire day if you have the time to do it. Please, you are staring into the eyes of humility. And when you do that, you can't help but get humble. You're going to meet Jesus when you do this. I guarantee when you help people to get things that they cannot get on their own, all right? So please, I'm going to volunteer for this. Five, please send me information on how I can be a part of this prison pen pal ministry. Guys, uh, we have a pen pal ministry with people at East Jersey State Prison. They're Christians. And a letter from you would go a long way. If you are interested in being a part of that, which I hope you will, it's just writing letters once in a while, would you please check that off and we'll get back to you. You'll change somebody's life. Because people in prison often feel like they're forgotten, they're misfits, and maybe through your letters of encouragement and just your letters of friendship, you can teach them how much they're worth to God. Why, why not be a part of that? That's setting people free. The last thing, I, I will pray and search for a ministry to serve in at church. I've been so encouraged. Look at those people in those beautiful yellow shirts. Frontline is back. The children's ministry is back. We're trying to get back into ministry. The worship team needs more people. We just need more folks to volunteer. And guys, that is God's invitation to invite you to be a part where he can use you to transform somebody's life, where somebody can be set free. Set up and breakdown needs help. A lot of help, actually. So if you're interested, just check that off. We'll get back to you and just ask what are some ministries you're interested in. We can help you get plugged in, all right? And that'll be a great way to be a part of this church.